Welcome to Trade Finance Talks, a podcast from Trade Finance Global. During this series, we'll be hearing from global experts, as well as learning about the latest trends, technology and insights in the world of international trade and receivables finance. Episode 121. What does go do? I think in a very simplistic manner, go is an SLA that guarantees you that the payment as starts is delivered in full value to the beneficiary bank. My name is Abhash Patel, editor at Trade Finance Global. Today, we're honored to have with us Shirish Vadivkar, the Global Head of Wholesale Payments and Trade Strategy at SWIFT. Now, with the upcoming Cybos conference on the horizon, there's an awful lot to discuss. Last year, I'd say the focus was really on standardization, the transition to paperless trade, and the real-time 365 operations from a payments perspective. But what about this year in Toronto? We're going to be delving into some of the latest trends, the developments around ISO 20022, and how Swift Go is revolutionizing cross-border transactions for SMEs. We'll also touch upon the role of blockchain in the industry's future and the impact of some of Swift's collaborations, including their sandbox collaboration on the adoption of central bank digital currencies or CBDCs. As we buckle up and explore some of those keys to creating a successful international trade and payments industry in 2024, we'll be looking at all the steps needed, whether that's interoperability, standardization, or other developments. So we're looking forward to discussing the future of payments and trade together at Cybos 2023. Shirish, welcome to Trade Finance Talks. Hey, hi guys. Hi, Dipesh. Thanks for having me. This is really a good opportunity to talk to you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Such a pleasure. And thank you for having us, Cybos. So quick introduction. Who are you? Where are you from? And what do you do, Shirish? All right, Dipesh, you covered a fair bit of what I am right now, but to add to that, uh, at what I do is I manage wholesale payments and trade strategy at Swift. I'm based in Singapore. Well, Swift is not new to me. I am new to Swift. I joined Swift last year. Before that, I spent uh, 25 years in banking across various divisions like retail, corporate, institutional banking. I also have a luckily have a multi-geography experience. I worked in India, I worked in the Middle East, Sub-Saharan Africa, and again Asia. At Swift, wholesale payments and trade actually is an integrated function. So it covers core payment products for B2B payments. It covers marketing infrastructures, the work we do with them. It covers our initiatives for corporate treasury improvement and how we are in the corporate to bank space as a company. And of course, trade. One of the things I want to talk about is an integration between trade and payments. And that's the reason the division is structured this way. I've been working in payments and trade for a long time before Swift at Standard Chartered Bank, where I headed payments for them and also have worked in correspondent banking and FI trade. So probably you know, jack of all trades. Jack of all trades, indeed. Thank you very much. And I think that's what we're really trying to unpack here, which is that intersection between trade and payment. So last year, we spoke to Rishi, the global head of corporates and trade go-to-market at Swift and painted that pandemic recovery picture and also how we accelerate that push towards digitalization. Shirish, what are we expecting from Cybos this year? What are the key themes that you think this conference will be covering? If you look at the theme, it is collaborative finance in a fragmented world. And that is what we are excited to welcome the world to come to Toronto to talk about it. So we have hundreds of speakers, 180 ex- exhibitors and counting. And we hope to best the number of attendees we had last time we were in Toronto in 2017. For your audience specifically, I would like to share that we have a few 
curated sessions on trade. Keeping on with the thematic of last year, we are using uh, the sessions to increase knowledge, but at the same time, engage the industry to understand how the thematics play out and what is on top of mind so that it informs us in strategy, it informs us in how we service the community on the way out. Our strategy in Swift very quickly for trade is to support the future-ready trade ecosystem, which is anchored in standards, promoting interoperability and the continued digitization of trade. Now, these three things are very important and I'll cover them as we continue talking. Under standards, we are looking in a session that we're doing in Cybers, where we will talk about our first corporate-to-bank guarantees how we've launched them and how they're the first ISO full cycle APIs. We're looking at what challenges we'll face in adoption and how do we grow that particular set of APIs to do more than just guarantees. Interoperability, I think you are aware that the world is fragmented and the better we get on interoperability, the easier it gets for banks to adopt various products offered in the space of trade. This is where we work a lot with our partners and we've done POCs on how electronic bills of lading can interoperate and even if they are not a SWIFT standard data set, SWIFT has shown we can transfer them between two different e-bill issuers and still execute the transaction as it proceeds. Finally, and I think something which is very personally important and in, an interest area for me is trade data harmonization. I think if you want to do digitization and you really are driving towards a full cycle of digitization, which means there is no paper at all, it's, it's not just scanned documents flowing around. You need to start with trade data standardization. And that is what we would look at to do at Swift. And this is what we wanted to lift our game in trade as a community. Focusing on these three thematics at Cybos, I hope these interest your audience and we hope to see a lot more participation on this subject going forward. Thank you very much, Shirish. And for sure, that guide is very handy. And I'm sure a lot of the trade finance and trade community at, at Cybos will be looking for those specific sections. So I'm actually going to suggest we talk about all three of those themes in, in this podcast. And let's really start around the ISO standards, ISO 200022, which obviously has been a big development within the payment space, I think less so in the trade space. And could you perhaps talk about some of these developments and what your thoughts are on how they actually impact trade and where you see that progressing and developing? Absolutely, Deepesh. I think you're right when you said the initial start of ISO does not start with the, you know converting the trade messages to ISO. But at the same time, we all know this is an integrated space. So at Swift, we have more than 50% of our uh, MT103s or now so it's which are linked to trade, which basically means that it's impossible that I can we do changes in the ISO for payments and not impact the world of trade. That is critical. At this point in time, while we are focused on bringing the new standards of payments, there is a lot more work we're doing in parallel to how it impacts the trade cycle at banks because the payment cycle is improving on a data set to ISO. Without just talking about just that, I think I also will talk about the work we're doing with ICC here. And this is a common thematic we'll see with Swift now about being an open collaborative network that we are evolving to. This work with ICC is to create the first API standard for guarantees. There are two things which are different here. One is that we are focusing on improving how corporates interact with banks because the transaction doesn't happen at a bank, right? It happens at a corporate. So we're trying to reduce friction and improve the data standardization at the corporate to bank leg. That's the first step. The second is we want to start building elements of ISO already into this API so that data standard is ISO, if not the messaging standard. This is in a way pushing the envelope, pushing ourselves to move further along the ISO space. Use the benefits that particular data set will bring 
and use it for sections which are most important for documented trade, which is the highly involved and operationally heavy processes that are part of the guarantees lifecycle issuance, amendments, cancellations, all of that. This is one way of also, you know, bringing ISO to trade. At the same time, I would not ignore the fact that as payments move to ISO and more data is available on that particular layer, there will be more benefits from an end-to-end data processing cycle, right? Your reconciliations improve, your ability to track the payments will improve, you can screen smarter. So there is a benefit for the entire payments and trade ecosystem that will happen because we are migrating to ISO. And I think rising tide will lift all ships, including trade businesses and efficiencies. Thank you very much. And I think that's really helpful to our audience. Do you have any dates or expectations for when we might see the development of these API standards for guarantees? And could you also clarify, is it around the MT760, which is the current messaging type, which you're looking to migrate over to ISA? The API standards got published this month, so they are live. The way we've gone around is that it is not just limited to SWIFT corporates, but every bank and any bank for that matter can use these standards for their own corporates that they connect to. So the, those standards are live. It was jointly published between ICC and SWIFT, and you'll hear some more press coming around it so to help the industry get aware of the standards. On your second point, on the timelines of various things we're doing with the industry, I think the consultative phase of this conversation is very important for us because we actually had a very pragmatic way of doing these conversations with the industry. So the idea was not to talk about 760 or 798. The idea was saying that, okay, these standards will continue, they'll coexist, but some of our clients and some of the corporates are using APIs to better manage their own operational processes because APIs allow you to call the process of issuing a guarantee as it is required in the supply chain, right? So you don't have to wait for the bank interface layer to ask for a 798. That was the demand from the industry. So we said, let's focus on the APIs independently of 798 changes. And we also have been pragmatic about that and we haven't gone and changed the 760 because the bank-to-bank layer does not that critical to change, but the corporate-to-bank layer is where the friction was. Industry consultation allowed us to hone in to the point where we could create the replacement, or I call it replacement, but actually it'll run, run coexistently with 798. This is the way we run our consultations. This is the way we want to collaborate with the industry. Go to the problem that is important in trade. So the I just want to reflect on the fact that trade, you will never see you know, silver arrows. It's a complicated business. It has multi-layered interactions. It has a lot of ecosystems, a lot of partners. We don't want to start at things which create a lot of inertia or you know, pull people back. We want to make achievable but meaningful changes to the world of trade digitize it to push it in the direction of what we want it to go to. Thank you very much, Shirish. Now, let's go on to your second point that you mentioned earlier, which is actually around e-bill of lading adoption. It's talk of the town here in London at the moment, of course, especially as the electronic trade document bill became an act and will be enshrined under English common law as of around the 20th of September. Can you perhaps talk through what this means? I know you guys have a collaboration with eDocs Online and CargoX, which really does show that commitment towards pushing the boundaries of what's possible in the trade and payment space. I think we'll break the question down into two parts. One is the one, let's talk about what does it mean to have a law in place? And then we'll talk about the challenges that practically still exist to get this done, right? The biggest thing about having a law in place, it, it allows a reassurance that there is a legal framework that helps this particular conversation to proceed. We are also hoping that given the, the how do you say, the ubiquity of English law as a genesis in many other markets that end up following English law, 
the ability for this to replicate, the approval to replicate itself in many more jurisdictions is fairly easier. But we're not going to stop there. We are not going to depend on just the law because having the law in place does not really mean the execution will happen, right? The law creates a framework. The law creates a fallback in case we have disputes or we have unhappy moments during conversations. The more important conversation is how do we get this done? This is what we were doing with our workshop POC we did with our partners. The real problem, the real, uh, the with the rubber hits the road actually is in that, in driving adoption, in driving collaboration across parties in this conversation. So the EBL POC, and we'll do another one, was about highlighting those areas where you need to make sure that these have to be in place. And it was important for Swift because we don't even have an EBL standard that is running on Swift, right? It is not a Swift empty message. So it was important for us to also make sure that our network is open enough to carry a standard EBL, which is created outside Swift, for example, but runs over the Swift network because the participants are connected to Swift. There were a lot of tick marks on the fact that, yes, if EBL is a law, great. EBL has a standard to working with uh, with the FIT FIT Alliance. You've heard about them. This guys, this is a combination of DCSA, FIATA, BIMCO, which is basically trade forwarders, shippers, and ICC together to create this EBL standard that is permeable and allows much more involvement in the creation of the standard of the industry. It is not somebody that's sitting in the corner and writing a standard. Now we have a standard in place. Now we have Swift as a viable method of exchanging that EBL. Now the question comes on how much more adoption can you get from the issuers itself, from the people who use EBLs, because EBLs itself are less than 2% of the entire bills of leading exchange in the world today. So it's a pretty good start, but it is a long way and the investors to work together to get it to really deliver the efficiency promise the EBL actually creates. That's uh, very important there in terms of how we actually go about the adoption and also ensure that the EBLs are actually used because this is a permissive law, which means the old ways of working, the old laws are still in place. This is an alternative. The final piece that you mentioned is really around that trade data harmonization. Some estimates predict that there are around 4 billion documents wedged in, in paper documents wedged in global trade. How do we go about harmonizing the colossal numbers of data points and what's Swift's role in this? This sounds cliched, but collaboration is the key conversation here. We're very uh, enthusiastic about the participation we have with ICC DSI. They have embarked on this, on a very ambitious project on what they call as documenting what are the key data elements in trade documents. These are seven key trade documents for digitization. You must have heard about ICC's work in that direction. The idea is that piece of work actually identifies the minimal or the optimal data set required that represents each of the trade documents, which is bill of lading, certificate of origin, even the commercial invoice and more insurance documents. First step is about understanding commonalities and minimum requirements that we can use for creating a data set or digital data set for the documents. That's first step. That's important because if you do not have that harmonization, anything you build on top of that will end up in some friction somewhere where a particular jurisdiction may find it incomplete. Having done that, then the next question is, can we convert that into a standard and then find a way to transmit that standard? That's one route of the work. That's one thing that you have to do. The second thing we have to do in this conversation is to uh, see and keep continuing engaging with the industry and see which of these, which are the most important documents to digitize and transmit. This is where everything comes back into play, where if you have a digital document and you have the law in place and you are transmitting that particular document across various parties that are involved in a trade transaction, you can see the change that it will create. This is where you are now saying that 
okay, it's not just documents. I have got standardized. ICC is an amalgamation of hundreds of corporates. SWIFT is an amalgamation of banks. And the community together coming together with that particular network effect creates the potential at least for the change. Julius will be out on how adoption works because the difficult thing to convince everybody is how do you save time? Is it really going to save you cost? Is it going to save you money? Is it going to make incremental revenue for you? These are the hurdles that we have to cross as we go along because unless it makes financial sense, unless we are able to show sustain economical outcomes for these conversations, these will remain in the space of standards and a standard is not a standard unless it's adopted. Absolutely. So just to uh, summarize, we need to create the rules, create the standards, create a way to transmit those standards, engage with the industry, prioritize what those most important documents are. And also, I think most importantly, as you said, look at the business case. Is it a time versus cost versus revenue piece? I have a question for you around the payments piece, because I think that's also incredibly important and also interconnected. I know you guys launched Swift Go recently. How is that going and how has that helped SMEs in that low value cross-border transaction? piece. And also, can you talk about whether there are any other further collaborations in the payment space that are helping grow that area? Absolutely, Pesh. I think this is uh, is very core to Swift. I think the our approach to Go is gaining momentum quite rapidly, I would think. We have more than 600 banks and 130 countries connected over Go right now. What does Go do? I think in a very simplistic manner, Go is an SLA that guarantees you that the payment as starts is delivered in full value to the beneficiary bank. That is what it guarantees. Now, it is very important for SMEs, and I would not just say SMEs, but let's talk about SMEs and let's talk, let's talk wider. It's important for SMEs because typically as exporters, in their roles as, as exporters, small exporters, the ability to predict that whatever they have built for is important as they are fighting in a, in a very highly competitive environment for pricing and especially when you talk about export economies. If my input cost or the banking cost is called input cost for the SME is unpredictable, then I will end up pricing slightly higher and may price myself uncompetitively in the market. Price guarantees or confidence that the money as invoiced will be received improves the way they can price. It also improves the supplier relationship for them in turn because they can give the same guarantee downstream that yes, this is going to be a transaction action that will be delivered as invoiced. The reason I said it is not as SMEs and I just want to widen the conversation out to you is that the trend of having low value payments is not just limited to SMEs. Low value payments are quite prevalent across corporates too, either because the way technology has allowed payments to not require to be batched up and they have ERPs and efficient accounting platforms that can generate payables and receivables as and when they are created, or the fact that people themselves are in economies or in industries like the new economy industries, where there are a lot, many more payments, higher volume payments, but lower value. This could be the you know, the creator economy, this could be the shared economy kind of industries, right share, right hailing platforms, the freelancing services platforms. E-commerce has moved into a space which has high amount of low value payments. Yeah. In low value payments, if you have predictability of delivery, it improves the entire economical value of the payment and the impact it has on the supply chain. This is Go, and we are quite excited about Go. One yeah. more topic I want to talk about is cross-border pre-validation. I think payment pre-validation, if you look at it, is quite commonsensical. Prevention is order better than cure. Preventing a payment to fail because we have the account number incorrect or the beneficiary name incorrectly spelled or Purely just simple transposed account numbers that accounts for a fair amount of payment rejects across the world today. And that's actually avoidable. So payment revalidation is an initiative at Swift that we are championing and pushing out with our community and our banks because we would like to help them solve for payment errors before they happen. 
figure out if the beneficiary is valid, the account details are valid, or before you send the payment out. If you do that, it also improves the reduces the cost of repair. It reduces the time taken for you to figure out where the payment went. The three four days that you lose, you don't. You can keep on sending accurate payments first time every time. That is go, and that's the validation. Hugely important, and you know, you still see payment times of several days, more than a week in in some odd use cases. So there's really an industry effort to push this down. One final question: We're nearly out of time. There are several leaders across trade, treasury, and payments who will be coming to Cybos Toronto 2023, and let's try and take a 12 months view on this. What are your tips for those coming to Cybos? How would you suggest that they make the most of that one very intense week? week so that when they come back to Cybos 2024, they know that they've made some progress. So what tips would you offer leaders attending Cybos in just a few weeks' time? Dipesh, I think this is a very good question. And I think just a couple of years ago, I was one of those people coming to Cybos as a participant and not host. These things worked for me and I would probably give the same advice to the delegates coming through. Be in two stages of your mind. One is See what immediate benefits you can draw from what the industry is working on. Because the concentration of those four days and the amount of learning you can get, you will just walk into any session, you will hear a lot more things that you may not have been able to compress and learn on the last year that you've been, even if you've been connected to the industry and reading and so on and so forth. See that in two stages. See what you can take and do today. That particular one, challenge that particular one on why we cannot take it into delivery. Because like a network, everything in Swift is about adoption. So unless we have more people doing repeating successes in experiments that we're doing, in POCs we're doing, there is never going to be the network effect. That's one mode of thought. The second mode of thought is challenge us in those conversations that you're going to have with your partners, with Swift. Challenge us to talk about things that are a little out on the horizon. Look at the impact that tomorrow may bring on today and do those conversations at Cybos. This is the place where you can really collaborate. This is the place you can ask those questions. And you're talking to people who live, breathe, and eat these opportunities, these new initiatives and new innovations that will help the industry. The space, the time you get at Cybos is a very unique time to be able to push those conversations in a very different orbit. I really wish people do that more and I encourage them. And this is what I would respond to you, Deepesh, about the two things one should do at Cybos. Dirish, thank you very much for joining us on Trade Finance Talks. Thank you for helping us prepare for Cybos 2023 and also providing us with quite a succinct list of updates in terms of what's going on across trade, treasury and payments. We're really looking forward to, to Toronto and look forward to catching up with you on the ground there. Thank you very much. Thank you, Deepesh. The pleasure is all mine. Thanks for listening to Trade Finance Talks. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts at tradefinanceglobal.com.